Thanks for tuning in to the Airport Wild Podcast. My name is Brett Jacobson, and I am your host. Uh, today's episode presented by Lou Makers Wildlife Management, as always. Um, we're going to sit down with two uh, wildlife biologists, Eric Mathiason and Jacob Hoffey, uh, just kind of pick their brain. We're going to do a Q&A, actually, that uh, we've got a bunch of questions that were submitted to us. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna ask them, you know, certain topics that we want them to, uh, elaborate on. And I hope you enjoy today's episode as always. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Welcome to another episode of the Airport Wild Podcast. Uh, today's show, we have Jacob Hoffey and Eric Mathiason. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but they are um, certified airport wildlife biologists with Lou Makers Wildlife Management. And we're going to do um, our first ever Q&A. So we've got some questions that were submitted by other biologists and some of our listeners and we are going to put these guys on the hot seat. Jacob, how are you doing today? Doing good, Brad. How are you? I'm fantastic. Now, you're out in Lincoln, Nebraska. And from what I hear, the the goals have arrived. Is that correct? Yes. Just recently in the past week, we had some hard north winds and it pushed a bunch of different migratory birds in. And one of those being about 6,000 gulls that came and started living right at uh, the local lake right in Lincoln. So it's been a little hectic recently. Okay. Okay. And Eric, uh, you're up in Rhode Island, which is uh, completely different than uh, obviously the heartland of Nebraska. Uh, what's going on out in Rhode Island these days? Morning, Brett. Uh, it's, it's honestly been kind of slow bird wise right now on, on my airports. Uh, you're starting to see a trickle down of some other kestrels and stuff that disappeared during the summer, and we had a strike with the kestrels still here. Um, red tails and stuff is just a never-ending fight. Uh, they're always here. Um, but other than that, it's just like mammals and, and deer and stuff like that on my airports. I, I haven't really had a true cold front come down that pushed a lot of birds down. Starlings are picking up, but that's that's just natural. Um, but we'll see as as weeks come in here and another cold front coming this weekend. Um, I, I think I'll start seeing some bird numbers go up. Nice. Good. Good. All right. So let's just dive in. Okay. Cause we got a lot of, we got a, we got a bunch of questions, right? And, uh, so some of these topics, you know, obviously you guys don't know any of these questions, so I'm interested in hear your, your answers. And, um, so we're going to go with Jacob for the first question here and, uh, what you guys do in your industry, um, you know, there's a there's quite a lot uh, there's quite a lot of public concern uh, regarding you know methods and stuff like that. You know, and obviously, you know, at Lincoln, for example, Jacob, like their marketing director is great. At you know, I saw the write up that they did on you recently. I know Brooke Morgan, who was there before you. Um, you know, she was even on the news and things like that. What are some of the things that you guys deal with, or what you have to keep in mind when you're dealing with the public? 
um, in order to effectively do your job? I think the biggest thing to effectively do our job is to just be as professional as possible in terms of talking about exactly what we do. Because everybody knows that we do depredate animals. And it's, it's, it's kind of how you present that in a professional tone from, from what I've learned that keeps the, it keeps people that would, would seem to get upset if, if you went into a, to detail of, I guess like, oh, they're killing animals or killing these things. We're depredating for public safety. That's, that's what I bring, draw the line at. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I have found to keep people happy in, in and around an airport setting like that. Yeah, that's definitely, that's a great answer. Eric, I mean, uh, you're a little bit more seasoned than, than Jacob. So, and you've, you work multiple airports out in Rhode Island. Um, you know, and so what do you, what do you got to contribute on that one? I'm sure you've got. Yeah, to kind of bounce off of what he said, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'd be, I have, I'm much more industrialized up here. There's, oh my God, there's so many people. I mean, uh, my home county in New York is actually 100 square miles larger than its state. Um, and there's a lot of people. So I have to deal with people all the time. There's certain parts of my airport that I just have to be extremely cautious about what I do because there's people standing outside the fence watching planes. Um, you know, and I have to, I've had people on some of my other airports that work at the airports come up to me after. I've done depredations and they, they ask me why I'm doing it and, uh, and if I have to do it, if, if there's other ways to do things other than having to kill the animal. Um, and I explain to them in, in the best way, most professional way possible. That way they get, they get maybe learn something and, and when they walk away and not think we're just out here killing everything. Um, yeah, so real quick, you know, obviously that's depredation, right? Um, so, and, and obviously with, with my, my position uh, within the company, um, I do a lot of blogging, so I do a ton of research, right? And uh, obviously, you know, recently I posted something about hazing and non-lethal tactics, and that got, I got crushed on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so many people, you know, so many people commented on that, that, that blog that I posted, um, in a negative way, do you guys find that whether, you know, even maybe non-lethal, like if you're hazing geese with a dog, that more people are, you know, outspoken about that rather than just, hey, depredation where you're hiding it a little bit more? Yeah, so for me, I have that Navy-based contract um, in Newport and uh, everyone loves when I'm doing hazing of the geese with the dog. They think it's awesome. I like last week I had two old ladies just stop and watch me do it. And, they, and then they came and talked to me afterward and they were like, Oh, get rid of them all. We hate them. And I'm like, I try, but they only do so much. They, they fly out in the water and then they sit in the water and then they'll come back. And I had, I have my RC boat, which I chase them with that. And, I mean, um, which is honestly a blast. I have fun chasing them with the RC boat, but uh, I don't know about the public opinion on that. I've never had anyone question me on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, they definitely like the dog aspect of things. I don't think they, the Navy base won't let me do pyrotechnics or anything like that. But um, I don't, I've never really had any issues with hazing wildlife and dealing with people. Jacob, you got any history or any, uh, any negative outlook when it comes to, to hazing? Um, 
Brett, it's the beauty of being in Nebraska. Um, <laughs> there's not, there's not a lot of people. There's, I mean, there's, there's quite a few people in Lincoln. Um, it's very, it's probably more the populated area of the state, but um, in terms of where the airport's located, it's, it's, it's in a perfect location. I mean, we're just out, it's just on the west side of the city where there's egg fields surrounding it. Um, a lot of safe opportunities to use pyrotechnics and firearms. And there's really not a lot of issues that I have with hazing. I mean, I do, I do use non-lethal techniques here and there, um, but we see that our lethal techniques tend to do a little bit better in terms of long-term longevity of, of what we're trying to get done. Nice. And yeah. so that's a little bit more where I had. Is this yeah, that one was, uh, that question, since it was your first podcast, I teed that one up for you knowing uh, knowing the landscape of Lincoln, Nebraska, but, uh, <laughs> all right, so we're going to do All right. So we're going to move on. So, um, next question. Um, obviously, you know, a big part of your, your job includes, um, you know, identifying attractants on the airport, but also off site of the property that you manage and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you're responsible for a five-mile radius around the airport when you're doing surveys and things like that. Um, well, the question that was submitted is, what are some of the good – so what are some good ways to manage off-site attractants or off-site property when you don't have access to that off-site attractant or you have limited manpower? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So <laughs> that's a good one. We'll start with um, you, Jacob, since you uh, since you got the softball one last time. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's just. I mean, let's say our biggest our biggest nemesis in this field is geese, right? So we're trying to find where we we know that geese loaf on a pond, they roost on a pond, they and they could be two separate ponds or two separate bodies of water. Um, and let's say they're going from where they, their body water is to a food source and they're crossing the, the, the airfield and their airspace in a way that could potentially be dangerous. And both the, food, the water source and the food source, we can't access to, to do any of our hazing methods on to disrupt that pattern. So... That's it's, it's a very hard scenario where I think um, just being in the air, area of where the birds are going to go across the airfield or across the airport and using those pyrotechnics. Um, obviously, we got our, our screamers but um, and bangers and just just trying our best to keep them going around to, get, to just get them to disrupt that that pattern of going through the airspace and creating that public and safety concern. Nice. And so Eric, obviously you have a different landscape completely, but you know, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, yeah, no, it's tough. Um, I, I have, we, we do our offsite surveys. We have dawn, uh, mid morning, afternoon and dust surveys. We have to do offsite every, uh, every month. And, and, and that, that helps you kind of get a general gist of where all the birds are. And then we do some other patrolling too, to try and find other potential uh, attractants. And, um, 
the biggest thing for me is, is getting access. Uh, a lot of people, for some reason, don't want to let you do it. I mean, it is their property, rightfully so. Even the state, like I have uh, geese that are hanging out on state owned property and this is a state-owned airport and they still won't let me go on and haze those geese and the geese are only a mile from the airport um and and you know you're talking to these politicians in these emails and they're, they're worried about the reflections on them but politically so uh it's like oh hazing geese for the dog that might uh that that sounds fishy i think is the email he wrote back to me i'm like i don't know what to tell you man get out here everything's different Getting access is, uh, it takes a long time and it, it's uh, sending a lot of emails. Um, I've sent the same guy, I don't know, four emails trying to get permission and I think he's responded to one. So um, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. You know, I know where I kind of know where all the birds are, especially geese. And uh, it's just a matter of getting permission because it seems like no one wants to do that anymore. Okay. So let's say, let's say you do have access and stuff like that. You know, obviously you're you're out of the you know friendly confines of the airport. What are some of the management techniques that you use offsite versus you know within the airport property? So offsite, I I use Epic as much as possible because I don't like to use Epic on the airfield. He as as good of a dog as he is, he sometimes will just start running in a different direction. He wants to go do his own thing. Um, but I try to use Epic as much as possible because it's the geese almost always flush immediately when he comes out of the truck. Um, so that's e like a, a good way to, and the RC boat, if it's on water, that's a great tactic. Any water bearing birds do not like that. Um, a 30 mile an hour boat coming across the water. They do not like it. Um, or, I mean, pyrotechnic stuff are tough offsite because that's a really loud bang. And, uh, and a lot of times in, in areas like this where it's so industrialized and there's a lot of people, someone's going to call the cops. Yeah. So and that's uh, the beauty of Nebraska. Yeah, <laughs> again, the beauty of Nebraska. No, <laughs> for me, it's mostly, for me, mostly in Rhode Island, it's, uh, it's, it's dog and RC boat when possible, as well as um, just a lot of observation. Sometimes you just have the choice. You can't really haze them. Yeah. Jacob, how about you? What's your kind of what's your go-to method uh, when you're off-site? When I'm off-site and I can't use pyrotechnics or any of that, I gotta dress up like a bear and act like Epic and and run after him because I don't have a dog. Picks or it didn't but, happen. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. So, so we're trying. I'm trying to get my running legs in shape for for this coming fall in terms of the terms of that. But um, no, I mean, kind of going off what Eric says. It, but it, it all it all depends on what what the landowner is limiting you to do. Um, I mean, what we can get by with our access and to get onto the property and what our limitations are, and we just have to verify with whomever owns the property and whatnot what our limitations of of hazing can entail. And we need and we need to definitely emphasize when going into those properties and talking with the people that what can we do. What, what's the what's the limitation because it, it isn't the airport's property it's it's uh, it's kind of on us and it's our responsibility and it's also the owner of the property's responsibility and so they have to have that trust in us in terms of what what they're going to allow us to do nice so let me ask you this jacob um 
What are some of the, you know, some of the tools that you use for wildlife management that, you know, don't necessarily have to, you know, don't require a license or permit or anything like that? I mean, maybe this is a question geared up towards, you know, somebody like me, for example. I'm not a biologist. I'm not, you know, managing an airport or a park or anything like that. Maybe I just have a problem you know, in my residential area, what are some of the, you know, what are some good tools or techniques that don't require a license or a permit to, uh, to manage wildlife? I think one, I think this might sound like cliche, but, um, optics, you have, they have to have optics cause you got to understand what, what the wildlife are doing. That that's a big tool that we use each and every day. Um, in and around the airfield and I mean it's it's just it's just it just helps you observe being observant of the situations and what's around you helps you become a better wildlife manager and it helps you be able to read what the wildlife are doing and how you can um, safely and effectively mitigate the issues. What's your uh, what kind of optics do you use? I know uh, I know we're I know everybody's real high on vortex right now. That, that's I'm I'm a vortex fan. Um, <laughs> it's not, like it says, sounds very cliche. It's vortex, vortex, vortex. I guess for everybody. I think we're are your, both are your, uh, are your binos on the dashboard right now? <laughs> uh, the work ones. Yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 What's uh? What's your take on it? What are some uh, good tools and you know uh, maybe even some techniques and whatnot for somebody who's uh trying to either I don't know fight a fight a wildlife problem or you know at least uh, start a wildlife management. Um, ID uh, uh, different types of ID books and stuff like that. I mean, you got to know what you're looking at in order to put a plan together of how you're going to manage it. Um, if you don't know what that bird is, or if you don't know what that mammal is, then maybe you need to take steps to buy. I mean, these, these handbooks are cheap. The Sibley's is my favorite handbook and it's like 25 bucks. You can get a Peterson's mammal guide for another 20 bucks. Um, and just at least know what you're looking at, because if you have no clue what you're looking at, you can't even come close to putting a strategy together <laughs> of how to fix your problem. Nice. All right. Ready? That tees off this next question which comes from one of our own uh, Darby in Tulsa oh. submitted this one. Why is accurate species ID important for biologists and how does inaccurate ID affect their advising on wildlife management? Hmm. I'm going to go first. Loaded oh yeah, there. absolutely. That's <laughs> an oh, extremely yeah. loaded question. Cause so come on, I'm the baby us. of the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for us because we're, we're, we're operating under uh, federal and state permits. Um, within our depredation permits, we have to know what we're shooting because we're limited in how many we can shoot, as well as you also have to know, okay, what if it's state or federally endangered? You know, you'll be able to identify those species to know what's going on. And uh, if you don't, you could be in some serious trouble. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, just uh, before we uh, ask Jacob that same question. Oh, boy. Have you ever been in a scenario or a situation where you've had, um, you know, maybe like uh, either somebody, one of the airports that you're working on, 
maybe make that mistake of either inaccurately identifying a species or uh, yeah, maybe not reporting it. I mean, I've had, I've seen the guys, the ops guys here all the time misidentify wildlife, but I've never had them shoot the wildlife that they misidentified. So, um, or, or depredate. Um, no but, house cats turn bobcats. <laughs> there is a house cat that hangs out in this abandoned RV up here right next to the fence, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's got a collar on it or not. <laughs> so you've got a cat that lives in a van down by the river. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I do, I do actually. All right, so Jacob, same question to you, man. Well, it's 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 very similar to what Eric Eric was saying. We have to know what we are pursuing for our permits because, I mean, yes, we can um, put in emergency takes on certain species that we can we may accidentally take in the field, but um, in terms of the confinement of our permit, I mean, we got we should as a biologist we should be responsible enough to stay within that confinement mm -hmm. and that's it's just it's just as simple as that yeah i know um from the limited experience that i have um you know but talking to some of our uh you know potential new clients and whatnot um you know we have this competitor out there not to name names but they are government owned and government ran uh, so it's really cool to, uh, hear people talk about taxpayer money going right back to the government. That's awesome. Um, but a lot of cases, you know, I've heard from these ops managers and these, you know, airport directors, um, you know, when they're doing their, you know, wildlife hazard assessments or they're reviewing their wildlife management plans that the biologists that they had on staff just didn't do that great of a job with the data collection uh so have you guys ever come into you know or what's your opinion on if you're taking over a new account or a new airport and the person before you didn't do a good job and you're reviewing all their data and their management plans you know does that have any kind of significant uh impact on when you're coming in either one of you absolutely um because the past data shows gives the, the new biologist data on what to look forward to coming up in the future months. I mean, what we can expect and what the airport can expect. And we need that data, not only for us to, to be prepared for like certain species during fall migration, but for everybody around us in terms of who's gonna operate on the airfield. Nice. Yeah, Eric, now you, you took over in Rhode Island, um, what, about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago? It was in April, so about eight months. Okay, so yeah, so like, obviously, Jacob, you took over for Brooke, and, you know, you know, she was a pretty, pretty rock, you know, pretty good rock star. Uh, within yeah. But Eric, you took over in Rhode Island, and, you know, some, you probably did a lot of data review because you had multiple airports mm. in the Rhode Island area. What were some of the things that you were looking at as far as the, you know, identification data? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I don't, I didn't see any trends where, like, I don't think there was any misidentification, but I just, there was a lack of data for sure, um, and I, I adjusted to try and counter that in a way because I've been working on these airports at various different times, um, like the GA airports that I have, I have three of them. 
I've kind of figured out which airport has the best activity in the mornings, which airports has the best activity in the evenings, like dawn and dusk, and trying to get there to try and observe those airports at those times. That way I'm getting the most out of my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I, I don't know what my predecessors did um, because they, uh, and I don't want, I don't, didn't see much for data on the GAs. And, and when, I, when I did inherit them, I mean, Brad, who was training me on top of that, there was, I mean, ungodly amounts of deer on these airports. Um, I mean, considering they're unfenced, that's the deer can just come right on anyway. But there's, uh, there was almost too many deer. But as far as just coming in new and having uh, data set to review, it, it just it didn't take much to adjust, really. Um, it just was a matter of getting out in the field actually and just reviewing it yourself I think honestly more than just sitting there and looking at an actual data set mm-hmm. so, so Crystal asked Crystal Alexander up in Alaska asked this mm-hmm. question which is kind of you know where you're going to but I got to make sure that I give her a plug since she took the time to email you a question but what are some of the ways that you guys do actually manage the data that you're collecting out in the field and what are, you know, what are some of the ways that you maybe prevent yourself from either, I don't know, skewing the data, skewing the numbers, or even losing data? So, Jacob, you can go first. This right here, our cell phone, <laughs> our Android that we get. As soon as we get done with anything, I, I try to make it a habit. As soon as I do something, it gets put right in that, in that phone in our data sheet so I can just keep up to date with everything because if i get a little bit behind yeah explain what are the things that you're logging into your phone so i'm i'm logging in anything from our on-site and off-site surveys because the computer on the lap yes i'm doing it right now for this but it gets a little bulky when driving around and being in our trucks all day our trucks are our office um our phone is usually what what i go to for plugging in data and then i'm plugging in control work which is which we have incidentals where anything that we were observing or, or our depredations or harassments all go on that sheet. And so that sheet is just full of what the activities that we are doing each and every day, pretty much. Nice. Eric, you want to add in on anything of that one? Yeah. Google sheets. uh, I mean, honestly, it's great that we don't have to have any paper. Uh, Like a lot of my previous jobs, a lot of stuff was paper copies and then transferring it to electronic afterward. And having everything electronic once, doing it one time in Google Sheets is great. I, my data set's organized different than, than Jake. I think every airport's organized a little bit different. Uh, each file just kind of tweaks it their own way. Cody kind of gives us a raw way we've been doing it in the past airport, and then the biologist can kind of tweak it the way they want it, the way, way it works best for them. Um, a lot of mine is just because the way my airport wants it, you, they want – the number, the species you're seeing, and how many kind of over the course of the week. I do weekly reports, um, and uh, I also have a tab for just overall depredations with, with all the species on my permits, so I can keep track of. Okay, I've only taken two out of the 25 I'm allowed, so that I can take that animal and, and know that instantly, versus having to look up my actual permit and then counting down the tabs, going, okay, I've taken one, two, three. You know, it's just, it makes everything a little bit quicker, a little bit crisper. Um, it just makes everything flow a little bit better on the airports. Nice. All right. So 
we're going to end on this one. Obviously, there's a ton of topics that we can cover, but I don't think anybody want to li- wants to listen to a two and a half, three hour podcast. I know you guys are busy. All right. So you guys are both relatively, you, you guys are young and you guys are both relatively, you know, new to, um, I don't want to say this is your first big boy job because that's an insult. For sure. But uh, No, no, that, that's true for me. Yeah. But you, guys, me, yeah. you guys are fresh. You guys are fresh. So, you know, just talk real quick. You know, real quick answer here for anybody, you know, in college right now that's getting ready to come up like maybe this is their last year in college and, you know, and they're looking for that, you know, that first job in, in wildlife management or anything to do with their degree. What would you what advice would you give them right now? And we'll start with you, Eric. Be patient. Um, wildlife field is very competitive. Um, I graduated in May of 2019 and I didn't get this job till. 2021 in April so that's like two years where I was kind of bouncing around doing other stuff but don't stop applying don't stop tweaking your resume in different ways that may potentially make it stronger and better for each job you apply to um but overall just don't lose hope in wildlife because if that's really what you went to school for and that's what you want to do or whatever it is doesn't matter what it is you went to school for it and that's what you really like doing uh keep pursuing it and just stay patient you'll get you'll get that job you want someday all right jacob all right first line of advice when you're going through school don't be a bum make friends make connections make as many connections as you possibly can um without the connections that i made i wouldn't have gotten this job um i was roommates with eric in college um eric got the job before me he's a little older than me um granted we were, we were able to we do have a very similar background. I did depredation work in South Dakota before I came here. Um, New Brook, personally, as well. Um, I mean, making connections going through school is the biggest thing. And then also, I see this with my peers right now. I know Eric's a little older. Um, I see it with my peers. I know Eric's going to preach the patience game. That's what he did when he got out. He was very patient and then got, finally got a job in the field that he loves now. And from what I can see from my peers, I was willing to move. You got to be mobile, I feel like, in the wildlife field as well. I was, I was able to move from western New York, um, get out of there, and come out here in Nebraska. That, and, I, and I wanted to do that. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard on family, friends, and all that. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way because nice. you're all able right. to build on your career. So, all right, patient, don't be an introvert. <laughs> don't be an introvert. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and be willing to travel. Um, we'll, we'll end up, you know, obviously that's our last serious question, but what is literally, what's the best part about your job, both of you? Uh, for me, it, it just uh... – it's just never every day is different you know you, you go out in the field you get on the move every day you're not stagnant um you go out in the field you got the dogs you just you can do a ton of different stuff and, and you adjust your schedule you make your schedule yourselves as right in this company and you can adjust it to things you want to do uh with deer season coming out <laughs> and, uh, yeah I was, I was gonna say i was gonna say with uh, cool. Don't mention but, it to Cody, uh, but we get cold fronts. I'm out. I'm not working that day. 
I was pocketed for two hours with some office work and then go deer hunting. But no, it's uh, it's honestly ideal. You, you really just overall you're making your own schedule. You you're on your own. You're independent. So it nice. couldn't ask for better. Jacob, how about you, bud? You can't say cold fronts. You can't say cold fronts. Cold fronts. I, I really, I, I mean, you gotta love and hate them in this job. I mean, you get cold fronts, you get more wildlife in around your airport, especially this time of the year. But then you also want to be in a tree stand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, no. Back to the question. I mean, it's it, it is just the you never know what you are going to get into today, mm-hmm. and it's gonna and it's not. It's something that you went to school for, and it's something that you're passionate about. And I mean, what what more can you ask for right now? And I'm, I mean, that that's that's what what all I can say is you'd never know what you're gonna see. Like yesterday, I saw a ton of gulls, but I also saw a couple of really cool bald eagles that were in around the airport. Yeah, it's not cool for our depredation aspects or harassment aspects, and we gotta be very careful with that. But um, yeah, don't depredate eagles. Yeah, obviously, no. yes. Correct. No, that's a big no, big no, no. Um, and then I at night I was going, I was going to one of my sur- offsite survey locations, and there were two beautiful whitetail bucks. I mean, right outside the airport, you, you get to see all these different things, and you get to see how different habitat types. I mean, coming from New York to Nebraska, I mean, just the opportunities that I've had, I. Fast for anything better waking up and doing this. Perfect, perfect. All right. Well, listen. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll definitely do this again. And uh, I don't know. I got some ideas for some upcoming shows that are kind of geared more around uh, maybe us talking about turkey hunting. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll I mean, it's it's this deer season too. I mean, Eric and I yeah, probably sit on the phone all day. Yeah. And talk yeah. about deer hunting. <laughs> I'll call yeah. in from a tree stand for a podcast. So. <laughs> Nice. But um, yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, again, uh, our guest today, Jacob Hoffey, which is out in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Eric Mathiasen, who's in the great state of Rhode Island, which is smaller than his hometown uh, county. But uh, yeah, make sure to um, subscribe to our podcast, uh, like us on Facebook. I hope you guys enjoy this show and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having us. Thank you.